This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. Well, I've entitled my message this morning, Roll the Credits. Roll the Credits. As human beings, we tend to get impatient at the end of things, do we not? I know I do. It's like I have all these triggers in my life for things when I know they're going to end. For example, we all know and we've all been on that flight when as soon as the wheels hit the tarmac, everyone stands up. First time I ever flew on an aeroplane, I thought that was the normal thing to do. As soon as the, you know, because everyone else around me started to get their stuff and I thought, oh, this is what we do, we're going to be off quick. And so then I learned something about flying in an aeroplane that when the wheels hit the tarmac and when you even get to the terminal, you can just sit and relax. You don't have to be the giraffe in a small spot. Because what I found is, especially because when, when I fly, I always fly economy. And so, you know, the space between seats aren't that great. And so the first time I stood up and I'm like this, this is enjoyable. And so for the next, I reckon it would have been 20 minutes. Everyone around me is like this, just waiting. And then you always have that one person that has to be off the plane first. And it's like, we know that there's a point when it's like they're going to open the doors and you're going to be able to go. And so we know what happens. Um, think about things like at the movies. Soon as those credits start rolling, people start to leave. It's like as soon as the credits start to roll, and so our movie makers have become really smart because the credits are quite important because they're the people that have done all the hard work for you have sat down and watched the last however long that you've just watched. And so what they do now is they put a funny bit at the end of the credits just so people stay for the credits. And, you know, there's certain movies, and the Marvel um, franchise actually does this all the time, where it's like right at the end of the movie there's a, there's a little funny bit at the end or a lead into the next sequel or a lead into the next movie where it's like... And so I just sit there and wait. I actually read some of the credits. I look for my name, just in case. I look for who did the catering. I look for things like who did the costume design and that sort of thing. And and so I, I, I look for those things. And then at the end, it's like, ah, there it is. It was worth staying till the end. I think about things like traffic lights. Now, we all know when the traffic light is about to change, do we not? When I first started driving... I used to be able to count down and pick it. It's like I'd be sitting there in my car looking at the driver next to me going, I'm going to beat you off the mark. And so soon as, because if you look over, as soon as the traffic light that's going the other way that's stopping the cars that are going to cause an accident, if you take off too early, as soon as that changes, I knew I could go one, two, three, floor it, and I'd be away. See, we know when things are about to finish. And then what happened in my time of driving, they brought in those things called turning arrows. And it messed up my whole program. Because all of a sudden, I count to one, two, three, go to launch. And it's still red because someone else has the right of way the other way. See, as human beings, we understand and we get attuned to working out when something is finished. Think about your milk in your fridge. You understand when that milk has turned, do you not? The carton starts to bulge. It separates. You have curds and whey and all that sort of stuff where it's like you look at it and go, you know what? I don't reckon that looks so good. I don't reckon that is quite 
I, no, I think it's past its time because the use-by date isn't actually the use-by date in my house. The use-by date is when it starts to taste sour. That's when milk is off, not by the end of the date because who picked the date anyway? In Christianity and in the world we live, it is much the same. And as believers, we are told and we are encouraged that we should know the signs of the hour. We should know when the last days are beginning to come. Now, it doesn't mean we know when the last day is, but we should be able to read the signs about what's happening around us and we should be able to know that, hey, there's some credits rolling. There's something happening. There's something changing. It's like, you know, the credits are starting to roll in life. We should be able to do that. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read from verses 1 through to 5. I'll give you a moment to get there. Who brought their Bibles? Good to have a Bible. This afternoon, Pastor Lynette is preaching over in um, Rushworth, so it's going to be a great message. Looking forward to that. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through to 5 says this, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people, because see, here's Paul talking to Timothy and he says, you know what, Timothy, in the last days there's going to be some trouble. There's going to be some problems in the last days. But if, you, if we keep reading here, he'll actually start to lay out why there is trouble. And we can actually use some of these things as indicators of the time and the hour. So I'll read it again. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will move, uh, sorry, they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act righteous, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So the first thing I see here that Paul, uh, the, uh, Paul says to t- Timothy is this, that in the last days, there will be difficult times. Times will be rough in the last days. So what has caused those difficult things and what has caused those difficult times is humans' behaviour actually causes difficulty to other humans. Our choices are important. And can I encourage you that as we continue to wait for the Lord's coming, as we continue to tarry, in the old language, as we continue to wait for the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, we need to make smart choices. Because if you're anything like me, in your life you've made some dumb choices. Anyone made some choices where it's like, if you could just go back, you would go, you know what, I would make a different choice. Because our choices are important. In actual fact, our decisions today actually pave our path for tomorrow. So the decisions we make today actually pave a path that we need to walk on tomorrow. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, so this is Galatians 6 verse 7, it says, Do not, uh, don't be misled. You cannot muck 
mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. See, the decisions that we plant today, or some versions of the Bible say, is you'll always reap what you sow. And so what we sow today in our life, what we sow today in our kids' lives, what we sow today in our community and in our nation, we will reap the benefit of that tomorrow. At some point, there will be a reaping for the decisions we sow today into the future. When I first got married, we didn't have much furniture. In actual fact, we didn't have hardly any furniture. And so there was a sale that was on. It was an auction. And so Pastor Lynette and myself, we went to this auction to go and furnish our house. And so we're sitting there at this auction and we're bidding on the important things in life. You know, when you're first married, you've got to buy the important things, like a clothes dryer, as in a clothes horse, not the dryer that uses electricity. And, and so I'm standing there and I'm bidding on these things in front of me as the auctioneer puts them up for auction and there's two guys behind me and they're talking about today's generation and how they're just a bunch of rat bags and how they're no good and how they're this and how they're that. And I'm trying to concentrate this way but my ears were almost physically turned around so they were facing the other way listening to this conversation and I started to get a little bit angry. I started to get a little bit of a righteous anger rise up inside of me and at some point in their conversation I'd had enough and so I turned around to them and said, the pro- uh, whose generation has taught this generation that you're talking about? And they went, mm, no more peeps for the rest of the auction. No, Because the problem is, I mean, we can sit back and we can go, oh, this and that. The only way these things will change is if we sow righteousness into people's lives. If we sow God things into people's lives, then we'll see a change. Why? Because we shouldn't mock God by thinking that if we sow one thing, we're going to receive something else. Parents, if you want to sow righteousness in the lives of your kids, sow righteousness into their lives. And you might say, but Pastor Trevor, how do I do that? You do that by living an example where they will look at it and go, you know what, I need to follow that example. Now, that doesn't mean they won't test because humanity is all about testing authority. That's what we do. We're good at it. Now, there's certain things in life we're good at, isn't there? Humanity, right across the thing, it's good at testing authority. And so there'll be times when it's tested, but that's when as parents what we need to do is we need to stay consistent. Consistent, if I could give any parenting advice to either people who are just parents or people who are going to become parents sometime in the future, my advice would be this, is be consistent. Be consistent. Because I've done youth ministry for a number of years in the past and one of the biggest complaints I used to get from young people was mum and I just don't know where the line is with mum and dad. It's like one day it's okay, the next day it's not. And so there's this confusion that's brought into their lives because they don't know what's right and what's wrong. You know, and sometimes because society will say, well, you know, as, as Christians you need to be lenient. No, as Christians we need to be consistent. And when we're consistent, what happens is it actually sows consistency into their life as well. So what we sow, we produce. We are products of our choices. So it goes on to talk about what sort of things will cause hardship in the end times. And there's a list of them, and I'll just quickly go through the list. We haven't got time to go through it 
uh, in detail, but things like this, they will love themselves. People will be selfish. Uh, we live in a selfish world. You know, that's just the facts. We live in a selfish world. I mean, I rediscovered um, one of the things we've been doing in the last little while is, um, or I should actually rephrase that, one of the things Pastor Lynette did the other day was she pulled out all our old CDs. Remember those shiny things that used to put in a machine and music would come out? Pulled out all our CDs because, you know, we don't even, I don't think we even have a CD player in our house anymore. So we're going to get rid of them. So if anyone wants some quality Christian music that ranges from the hymns of Billy Graham right through to something rather heavy, um, we're probably going to be able to give lots away shortly. But what, one of the things I did was I discovered an old CD that I had years ago, one that's called One Way by Larry Norman. Yeah, and it's like, what it is, is it's not actually Larry Norman singing it, it's actually other artists, artists that have covered his songs. It's a great CD, I've got it in my car at the moment, and I've been rocking out to it. it, it it's, been, it's, it's been really good. But one, one of the things that, that he talks about is the fact that, you know, we're selfish. We're, we're selfish. You know, some of his songs, like he sings a song that's called Christmas Time. And about how society has flipped around what Christmas um, is all about. And it's all about, well, what will I receive rather than what I can give? Because God's a generous God. And so we need to be givers rather than takers. Talks about that they will be lovers of money. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse uh, 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. See, we get this mixed. Oh, I hear this misquoted all the time where it's like money's evil money's not evil the love of money is the root of all evil talks about people being boastful and proud scoffing god disobedient to parents ungrateful where they consider nothing as sacred unloving and unforgiving slandering lacking self-control cruel or hating what is good betraying friends, being reckless, full of pride, lovers of pleasure rather than God, acting righteous, yet rejecting the very power that can change us from the inside out. They are some of the things and some of the attitudes in life that will cause hard times to come. Now, I look at that list and I, I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person where I allow God's presence to change me inside out so that people will actually want to have conversation with me. So the question I have for you this morning is this, is how do we stay strong when the credits are rolling? How do we stay strong when the end times are upon us? How do we stay strong when it's like we're not sure how long we have? How do we stay strong in those times? Number one, if you're taking notes, is that we need to have peace. Can I encourage you that it's a good reminder that God is always on the throne. He is never out of control. I meet people and they freak out and they become out of control. That's what freaking out will do. When something happens, you know, the reason that we dive into despair is because not only do we lose control, but we don't know how to get it back. God is never out of control. He is the maker of heavens. There has not been a time in his life when he has um, been surprised by what happened. He knows your beginning from your end. That is why in my life, I am never afraid of about tomorrow. You know why I'm never afraid about tomorrow? 
because God has already seen my tomorrow, so therefore he's made preparation for what I need in my tomorrow. Someone said to me this morning, are you worried about the kangaroos driving up to Queensland? And I said, no, that's why I have a bull bar. The reality is this, is I'm going to pray. God, not only keep us safe on the roads, not only keep others safe around me, but keep them animals off the road as well. And then I'm going to drive. And you know what? If I'm driving along and I hit a camel, if I hit a kangaroo, you know, if if I hit a wallaby or that, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, something good will still come out. So we need to have peace. But not just peace, we need to have his peace. So how do we have peace? His presence actually brings us peace. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 says these words, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowd behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up, high winds were breaking into the boat, sorry, high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? What a prayer. Here you have middle of a storm and what we have to understand, we have to understand context here. There was fishermen in this boat. There was guys in this boat that knew that lake like the back of their hand and they understood they were in trouble. They understood that there was trouble afoot because waves were breaking over the boat. And I have a boat and one of the things I've learned about boats is it's not good to have too much water in the boat because if you've got too much water in the boat, then eventually you sink. And so the fishermen understood the turmoil they were in and so they wake Jesus up and say, don't you care? What an attitude. He's the loving shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And if we're not careful, when we face times of trial, when we face times of trouble, our attitude can be exactly the same. Jesus, you don't care. You don't understand. You don't see what I'm going through. You don't care about this. Let's keep reading. Verse 39. Then Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silent, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why? Are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and waves obey him. Now we have to understand that if we're not careful, we just focus on the storm. Oh, the storm. And the last three years, I've heard lots of stormy talk. I've heard lots of talk about it's still happening today, where it's like, oh, things are going up. Oh, the storm. Petrol price. Oh, the storm. Food prices, oh, the storm. Can I encourage you that God has your back? This is His actual promise is this, is that when you ask, he will provide for you. So in my life, I don't care how much petrol price goes up. Why? Because I have Jehovah Jireh, my provider, as my God. And so am I happy about it? Oh, no, I'm not happy about it. You know, it costs a lot of money to fill my four-wheel drive now. You know, that moment, that first time when I stuck the nozzle in and the Bowser clicked over to $100, I went, well, that's new. Never had that before. And then there was a time where I stuck the thing in and clicked over to 120 I thought, well, that's new. 
haven't had that before. And so, you know, it's, it's like this, this moment where it's like, if we're not careful as believers, we don't believe because we're going, oh, the storm, oh, the storm, oh, the storm. Can I encourage you to stay, oh, the master, oh, the shepherd, oh, the provider, oh, the one that has been there before us? See, we become so storm-focused instead of becoming God-focused or remaining God-focused. This is how I keep my peace in the middle of the storm. I don't look at the storm, I look to Jesus. See, think of the change that would happen in the life of the disciples if they didn't look at the storm and they looked at Jesus. Because what was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. I I love the way it's written here. It's like, you know, the, the detail. Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I look at it and go, thanks for that detail. I don't know what that's in there. But he was resting. See, in the storm, you can rest when you understand that the master's resting. So my reaction to the storm is not with the storm. My reaction to the storm is to the master. And I want to tell you, if the master's jumping out of the boat, I'm jumping out with him. Seriously, if, my, if the master's up there bailing water, guess what? I'm up there bailing water with him. If the master's asleep, I'm going to go, you know what? I reckon it's going to be okay. So focus on the master rather than the storm and that'll provide peace for your heart. Because I think we're in for a rocky road. You know why I think we're in for a rocky road? Because the Bible talks about it. That as the end time comes, that things get worse before they get better. And so I'm not worried about the worse, I'm worried about what the master's doing. Because if the master's going, you know what, it's going to be okay, then guess what, it's going to be okay. And so his rebuke to the disciples was this, was why are you having no faith? Where did they lack faith? They were looking to the storm rather than to the master. So keep your eyes on the captain. If you're boating, you've got to keep your eyes on the captain. Keep your eyes on the master. If you're in an army, you keep your eyes on the general. And if the general says jump, you say how high. If the general, if the general says go, you say where are we going. And so in Christianity and in the end times, it's the same. We can keep our peace when we focus on the master rather than the storm. The second thing we can do to help us in the end times and in times of trouble is to take heart. Take heart. Or another way I'm going to say that this morning is don't lose your joy. Don't lose your joy. Look at Psalm 51. Let's turn there, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is an interesting psalm. This is a psalm of, um, where David, it's his repentance psalm, when he understands that he's done wrong, that he's taken innocent blood, and because he's taken innocent blood, because he's sown to the flesh and sown to his own desire, he's reaping the seed from that. And so his prayer in Psalm 51 is probably not one that we would sing in church too much, even though we do sing it. We sing parts of it, we just don't sing all of it. We don't sing the bit about, sorry God that I've taken innocent blood. Never heard that in a chorus. It's a challenge for you, songwriters. Psalm 51 verse 12 says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. See, salvation brings joy. Salvation brings much joy. 
So David's prayer, after he's knowing that his choices have brought consequences that he didn't want to face, one of the things that he wanted to return to his life is he wanted the joy of his salvation to return. He didn't say, God, give me back kingdoms. Oh, God, let me conquer lands. No, he says, God, let my joy return. Let my joy return. Because I want to tell you, there's something about being joyful in the middle of a storm. You know how people get that nervous laugh happening? You know, anyone here a nervous laugher? You know, where it's like all of a sudden, you know, you, you get, you're in a situation and you know it's not funny, but you laugh. I like being around those people because it takes the pressure off me because everyone's going, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? You're in the middle of the Titanic and it's going down, there's water up your ankles and you're going, <laughs> nervous laugh. And everyone's going, well, you've lost it. <laughs> Can I encourage you that in times of trouble, don't lose your joy? In actual fact, you know what you do is you need to do everything you can do to hold on to your joy. Hold on to your joy. Yep. The third thing is you need to keep the faith. You need to look to God, as I, say, as I said before, keep the faith. I don't get it why we only believe in the good times. I, I, I don't get that. I, I don't get why we only celebrate. In the, I, I don't get why when we're in the middle of the storm, we can't go, you know what? We're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. Disciples in the boat, they're looking. He said, well, he told us to go to the other side. In the middle of the storm, we're starting to get swamped, but he's sleeping, so it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Keep faith in the word you've been given. Look to God. Uh, Let's go to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. says this from verse 1 onwards. Actually, we'll probably read the whole psalm. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he watches over Israel, never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. What a wonderful psalm. What a beautiful psalm. See, I I look at that psalm and I go to myself, why would I want to leave that place? Why would I want to turn away from that place? Why would I want to turn away from that place where there is shade from the bright burning sun and walk into an existence that isn't nice? So in hard times or in the end times or when we know that things are winding down, can I encourage you just to keep the faith? Keep the faith. Don't give up. Don't give up because if you're going to give up on this, what are you going to go to? (laughs) I look at it. I look at that list that Paul gave Timothy. We can stay in the faith where there's joy for salvation, where there's provision for us, or we can go to the selfish or we can go to the boastful ones. Or we can go to the mocking ones. We can go to other places where it's like there is no joy and there is no comfort. There is no answer. Fourth thing, and I want to finish here this morning, is we need to keep unified. We need to keep unified. This is where this message started to be spawned from. And I was saying last night at Saturday Night Live on on Friday, I had to come down the church and grab some lures that were in my office so I could get them ready for attacking big mangrove jack and that sort of thing up in Queensland and so as I'm coming down here 
I am just thinking and the Holy Spirit caught me in a moment and he started to speak to me about David and Goliath in a way that he's never spoken to me about David and Goliath before. And so I want to share this revelation about unity when it comes to, um, and we'll relate it to the end times because one of the things we need to do is we need to stay in unity. Can I encourage you that you need each other? We have become a society and we have become a world that becomes used to isolation because we've been told that that's what will keep us safe. And in some measure, a measure of isolation has kept some people in our community safe for a season. And that's just the way it is. But we are not meant to live in isolation. We are meant to do life together. That person that is sitting next to you or near you, you need them in your life. They need you in their life. The Scriptures talk about the church being a body and about how every part is important, even those bits that we don't think are important. You know, I I want to tell you there's parts of my body that I didn't think were important until they started to ache. I didn't even think about them until they started to ache. And then all of a sudden it's like that part has become important in my life because it's going, hello, I'm here. A little while ago I dropped something on my finger and I damaged the nail bed on my finger and so my fingernails started to grow all weird. It got infected and started to grow all weird. I've never noticed that fingernail before but I want to tell you for the last six to eight months I've noticed it because of the way it's grown and um, that it catches on things. I know it's there, I've never noticed it before but I notice it now. It's like and so you know it's at the point now where it's pretty right and it's almost grown out but it's like for six months there I had to be conscious about the way I picked up certain things because it would hurt. We're all important in the body. No one is more important than someone else. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, did I give you that verse? No, sorry, I was filling in time while you looked it up. So now I have to fill in more time. 1 Samuel 17 verses 1 onwards, it says, The Philistines now mustered their army for the battle and camped between Sokoth in uh, Judah and that place in there. Verse 2, Saul countered by gathering the Israelites' troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on uh, other on opposite hills with the valley in between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, he wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armour and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, which tipped, uh, tipped with an iron spearhead which weighed 15 pounds. His armour-bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted torts across to the Israelites, why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defile the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Then Saul and the Israelites heard this, or when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were afraid and deeply shaken. Interesting story. And we know so well the outcome of the story. We know that Jesse 
David's dad, said to David one day, go down and check on your brothers because they've been away for a while. They've been out of the house for a while. Go and check. In actual fact, go and check and take them some provisions. Take them some food. And so David goes down and as he goes down, he hears the taunts from Goliath. He hears the taunts from this nine-foot golden warrior from the Philistines. And that's the bit we focus on. But what I want you to see this morning was what Goliath did. Goliath's goal was to disunify the army. His goal was to bring disunity to the army. I want to tell you, if I'm in an army, I don't want one person to go and fight for me. I don't want to put all my stakes in a person to go and fight because the stakes were really high in this moment because Goliath's challenge was this, if you take up my challenge and I win, you all become my slaves. No, I want our army to be fighting Goliath, not an individual. And so Goliath's goal was to disunify the children of Israel. Can I encourage you or can I enlighten you to the fact that the devil's goal is to bring disunity? Because he understands that when he brings disunity, he actually weakens the forces. He's happy fighting the one. He's happy just fighting the one person. He doesn't like fighting the army because the army is powerful. Now, as an individual believer, you are powerful, but you are more powerful when you stand together with other like-minded believers. In actual fact, the Bible says that by yourself, you might be able to put to flight 10 people, but together you can put to flight thousands of people. I reckon that Goliath had heard about the victories of the past. I reckon he'd heard about the walls of Jericho being flattened by the unity of the children of Israel how all together the army marched around the wall, how all together they zipped it for six days, how all together they just stood there and they were united together, how all together when the trumpet blew, there was a shout of victory in the camp, how all together when the walls fell down, they rushed into the city. I reckon he'd heard about those things. I reckon he'd heard about how all together they crossed the Red Sea, how all together they'd crossed the Jordan, uh, both bodies of water on dry land. I reckon he'd heard about the victories of God. I reckon that he understood that together Israel was unstoppable. So he puts a mandate out. He says this. He says, just give me one. Come on, give me one. Just give me one. See, isolation actually causes weakness. Isolation in the kingdom of God causes weakness. When the Bible talks about the, the devil being a roaring lion, you think about how a lion hunts. He doesn't go for the strongest. I actually said to someone the other day, we were talking about up in Queensland where the crocodiles are, I don't have to be the fastest, I just have to not be the slowest. It's the reality of it. Because the crocodile ain't going to run past the slowest to go, no, I want that bloke in the front. The crocodiles are, no, I'm just taking the slowest. I'm taking the one that's isolated. I'm taking that one that is out on its own, that's not protected by the rest. See, isolation actually causes weakness in our life. We are not meant to do life apart. We are meant to do life together. And when we do life together, guess what? We're unified. Now, I understand the story of David, and it's a grace moment in the lives of the children of Israel. Because I don't think it was God's plan for one to fight one. I think that's the way it ended up being because the army shrunk back and didn't do the job they needed to do. Honestly, 
this is the way I think it should have happened. When Goliath came out and put the challenge, instead of Saul shrinking back and being afraid by the taunts, he should have caused the army to move forward. Because so often we fight our battles on the terms of the enemy rather than the terms of God. I mean, who gave Goliath the right to say how the battle was going to be fought? The person that gave him that right was Saul. Saul goes, okay, we need to find a man and they were all afraid. They were all afraid. So isolation can cause weakness. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to finish with this this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Isn't that a good promise? God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return draws near. The writer of Hebrews says this, he says, hey, as his time draws near, as the second coming of the Lord draws near, we need to be more united than ever before. You know why? Because we strengthen each other. We encourage each other. Let us encourage one another in love and good works. Let's all stand up this morning. Hey God, we want to thank you because our walk is simple. You've made it simple. We just need to watch what you're doing and follow. Lord, if you're asleep in the storm, then we'll have peace. If you're bailing water in the storm, we'll bail water with you. If you've jumped out of the boat and starting to cross the other side walking on water, we're with you. So Lord, I pray there would be a determination in our heart, Lord, that we won't look at the storm, we won't look at the trouble around us, but we will keep our eyes on the mark and we will become like, we will be like you. When you do, we'll do. When you sit, we'll wait. Lord, so I just pray there'll be such a determination. And Lord, we, we pray, we do pray, Lord, for those who aren't well. Lord, those who couldn't get here today or those that have made the effort, who have pushed through pain barriers to be in this house. Lord, with like-minded believers, Lord, we pray you would bless them with healing, with health. Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, that your healing would flow. Lord, that we would hear test me after test me after test me about how you have set us free from disease and sickness. Lord, in your wonderful, glorious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.